Welcome to CB On Air's new fintech podcast, Tech Talk, where we'll be discussing all things fintech. I'm Rachel King, Associate Editor for Central Banking. Joining me as we explore this brave new world is Adam Chabai, Chairman of Central Banking's Fintech and RedTech Advisory Board. Thank you, Rachel. Great to be here. Over the coming months, we're going to come to you on a fortnightly uh, basis to discuss trends, breakthroughs and projects um, that central banks face with regards to fintech. Um, Because this is our first episode, uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to set the scene and look over 2019 with a fine tooth comb um, at some of the projects. Um, So if we rewind back to January, one of the biggest things we saw was Google getting the go-ahead in Ireland to become um, a payment service provider. Um, it was quite a big big step because big tech has now become a, a big thing for central banks. Um, Adam, I know you've been following the big tech trend quite closely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so big tech, uh, I think, really entered the mainstream debates in February of this year uh, when the Financial Stability Board published uh, a very important report that made two, I think, very significant contributions. First, it helped to standardize the definition of what big tech means, that is uh, the large technology companies that provide financial services. And second, uh, the report also highlighted some of the key implications for uh, the financial and technology sectors and uh, also for uh, the data regulation and supervision. And I think this is the area where central bankers and regulators will have to work hard to find a, sol- a solution because uh, traditional regulatory and supervisory frameworks focus on sectors or a regulation of sectors rather than a regulation of activities and did not really take into consideration the possibility that uh, financial services may be delivered by other entities than financial services providers. Yeah, I mean, you can't ask Google to have a, a minimum capital ratio so that if they become insolvent, they'll uh, ensure the safety of the banking sector. So no, I think it's definitely going to be a, an issue that we follow closely into 2020. Um, at the beginning of the year, we also had a flurry of central banks taking a stance on crypto assets, um, which has become an incredibly big issue for them. There's a been a bit of disagreement about how we regulate them. We've got some central banks uh, issuing a a complete ban. We've got some looking to, well, effectively regulate them as securities. And then we've got some just saying the general public can do what they want, but here's what we think about them. So we had the Dutch central bank calling for new AML laws um, and the South African central bank has done the same. But I'm curious, Adam, which way you think this is going to go in the months ahead. Do you think that banning them is the the correct stance or should we look to kind of separate out these crypto assets into separate groups like ones that behave like securities? Uh, I think that uh, some sort of categorization of uh, uh, digital money in general is very important. And I think this is also the views of the majority of the uh, global central banking community because they clearly understand that uh, uh, digital money, in addition to representing a source of uh, important, uh, possibly even systemic risks, uh, can also provide uh, unprecedented opportunities for financial inclusion and also in the areas of uh, national and cross-border payment and settlements. So I believe that... uh, 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 classification of uh, digital money 
issued on the on the, on by private sector issuers is important and in a, in in a way inevitable. But I think that what central bankers will focus on increasingly is uh, their own. Uh, research of the central bank issued digital currencies based on the uh, survey conducted by BIS i think it's uh, uh, almost like 40 central banks across the world that are actively researching into this area yeah i mean in march we had uh, the eastern caribbean central bank announce their digital currency pilot so they teamed up with um, a private sector firm called bit to conduct a blockchain-based pilot um, within the Eastern Caribbean region. Um, Now, they claim to be the first central bank to do this, but uh, Uruguay and Cambodia actually beat them to the post with the pilots. Um, Now, the ones so far have had not that much success among the general public, but I think in somewhere like the Caribbean, where they're heavily dollarized, having this um, instrument will help with trade and reduce transaction fees. So it'll be interesting to see whether their pilot actually has some positive results but we've also got huge central banks like the pboc looking to issue their digital currency there's they've been quite secretive about their research um but they've announced that they are working on it so it's going to be something that we look to in 2020 absolutely uh i think that uh the people's bank of china's announcement that it is quote ready to launch at some point uh its digital currency represents a development that has potential to shape the digital uh, money landscape on a, on, on a global scale and possibly also uh, influence the, the international monetary system. Uh, and the, what I think is particularly impressive about the PBOC's efforts is that they have been heavily investing into its own uh, CBDC working group that was set back in 2014 and that apparently employs more almost a thousand uh, experts in this field. So that's something that we should definitely uh, continue focusing our attention to in the coming months and years. Yeah, I think it's it's been a growing trend that central banks are establishing specialized teams for this um, sort of thing. Because when fintech first kind of came to fruition, we had central banks just designating the odd person to investigate what this new kind of development was and now we've got chief fintech officers we've got working groups we've got international cooperation going on Um, i mean in november this year the united arab emirates established a new um fintech office in tandem with its new fintech roadmap um and then as recently as today we've got the bank de france saying they're going to reorganize their payment system directorate um and rebrand it to allow it to investigate central bank digital currencies so there's this huge effort to show that they're doing something. They don't want to be seen to be left behind because the private sector has gone full steam ahead. Um, and I think the biggest development this year came in the summer when Facebook announced that it was launching its own crypto asset kind of cryptocurrency thing, Libra. Mm-hmm. And it's not been met with that much respect from the central banking community. Uh, well, that's that's completely understandable, isn't it? Because uh, Facebook... Uh, uh, announcing its intention to launch its own stablecoin, uh, you know, represents a textbook, textbook example of a, binte- of a big tech uh, delivering financial services on a global scale. So in a way, this has potential to completely change the rules of game and uh, to, in a way, present a different playing field that uh, at the moment central bankers and regulators are not ready to regulate and supervise. Uh, so yes, but at the same time, I think this can 
uh, stimulate more activity on the side of the central banking community and motivate them to provide uh, alternatives and uh, possible possible solutions and possibly even uh, invest into the areas where cooperation with the big techs can provide some added value to the consumers but also to the work of central banks as uh, the guardians of the financial system something along the lines of the joint initiative of the uh, European Central Bank and Google uh, where uh, Google provides data for the ECB's now casting models. It's interesting you mentioned Google, sorry Google, because um, I, one of the biggest problems with Facebook's crypto asset has been that Facebook itself doesn't have a particularly good reputation at the moment among consumers. They don't like the fact that data is being taken from them and their privacy has been um, encroached upon. Um, and even Mark Zuckerberg himself is struggling to stand up in, in front of kind of government officials and kind of ratify what this coin will do. So I wonder if someone like Google, someone who's got a reputation of working within the financial sector industry already, is potentially more respected with central banks if they decided to launch their own crypto asset. Do you think that would be more well received by central banks? Uh, I think generally in the central banking world, the element of trust or credibility is mm. very important. Yeah. So I do agree with you that uh, uh, Google would probably have a better starting position uh, in comparison to Facebook. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that such initiatives would be welcome uh, by central banks in general because they are happening uh, at a time when central bankers and regulators are not yet ready to uh, tackle it, tackle it properly. Mm, I think you're right. Um, I don't think we'll be seeing Google Coin anytime soon, but who knows? Um, another one of the bigger events this year was the Bank of International Settlements launched its Innovation Hub. So they announced this in March, and later on in the year they, they announced that uh, Benoit Coure is going to head it up, um, and the new unit's going to undertake policy analysis and research that will look at how these new fintech innovations have increased data availability and how that can help central banks make more informed policy decisions. Um, now, the Swiss National Bank has partnered with them and they're going to launch, I think it's another central bank digital currency project. That's right. Um, and another one which looks at fast-moving payment networks, I think. And it's interesting to see that these central banks are partnering in such close coordination with an in international body it's kind of you need the bis there to act as a central cog uh yes indeed uh i mean as we as we discussed uh, earlier fintech is a completely new area for central bankers and uh, it's also an area that cannot be dealt with uh through unilateral initiatives and you need some sort of uh, uh, cross-sectoral and uh, even cross-jurisdictional cooperation and coordination and uh, the international standard setters like the BIS, uh, like the like the FSB, I think have a have a key role in this regard. And uh, uh, personally, I uh, really appreciate the the uh, initiative from the side of the Bank for International Settlements to uh, set a series of uh, uh, these innovation hubs at each of the different continents. Uh, uh, Augustin Carson has recently mentioned they are so, soon planning to launch one also in the Americas. And I think this is uh, uh, something which the central bankers need to do or central banks need to do if they want to be able to proactively shape 
the focus and direction of innovation rather than react to either risks or opportunities that innovation brings to them. Now, we know this international cooperation works because um, in 2018, it was the year of the sandbox, effectively. Everyone launched a sandbox or an accelerator or an incubator. Um, But what was missing was this cross-border effort because it's all well and good having one country allowing these new tech firms to come in and work within a a more relaxed regulatory environment. But then if they go to a a neighboring country and their regulation is not the same, then they're going to go through the, the whole process again. So... This year, we saw the launch of the Global Sandbox. I think it was in April. And it's being overseen at the moment by the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, and I think it's 35 regulators, correct me if I'm wrong, it may be more now, uh, who've teamed up together to open this new sandbox. And eight firms were accepted into the the first cohort um, out of 44 applicants. So it was quite strict. They've cherry-picked the best ones. Um, but this, I think this was a really good example of cross-border coordination on fintech, and it's something that I think we'll see more of. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I think that uh, the sandboxes, especially the global sandbox, will have a special role to play in this regard because uh, in a sandbox, you can really nurture innovation from the level of its technological foundations and you can in a way ensure that as innovation grows and as those individual startup companies you know expand they their innovation and the products they provide also comply with legal and regulatory requirements not only on the national level but also on the level of international standards and norms they're, they're definitely a, a useful tool. And we've seen central banks actually alter their own approach to regulating these entities as a result. It doesn't just work for the fintechs. Because, I mean, um, the PBOC has announced that they're going to look to create a completely separate regulatory um, handbook, I guess, for fintechs following in the footsteps of Lithuania, who have kind of changed the way licensing works for fintechs. And as a result, they've emerged as quite a favorable spot in Europe for fintechs to start up and make a base for themselves and we've seen this coordination between Lithuania and China and Asia more broadly we've actually seen um, some of the biggest fintech payment providers so we've got Alibaba, UnionPay and I think it was WeChat Pay now being licensed in Europe which is going to be a massive step for them. It opens a completely new arena for them and from the perspective of uh, uh, Lithuania, I think this, this is a great opportunity. I mean, after all, Lithuania is a, a former Eastern Bloc country, and former Eastern Bloc countries are traditionally known not to be particularly advanced in the financial mm. and technology sectors. Uh, but Lithuania, thanks to the proactive uh, efforts of its central bank and also of its of its uh, government in general, managed to really break this curse, so mm. to say. Uh, what I think we can expect in the coming uh, months is uh, some effort uh, tackling this uh, openness of the, of the Lithuanian jurisdiction also on the pan-European level. Because as you, as you correctly said, Rachel, uh, Lithuania became some sort of a gateway for the Chinese fintech companies into the European markets. And uh, uh, innovation on the area of fintech is increasingly identified as part of the critical infrastructures. And this is the area that especially the bigger Western European jurisdictions like Germany, but also the pan-European bodies like the European Commission and to some extent also the European Central Bank are uh, actively, actively tackling. 
I think I think one area that they definitely need to address is this cyber issue. So it's it's a, such a critical issue for central banks and the wider financial industry. And they have started to make a, um, advances. So we had the Bank of England and the ECB create these kind of penetration tests where you've got firms employed to hack financial systems to make sure they're up to scratch. Um, but we've not yet seen that many central banks embark upon kind of bespoke stress tests for this sort of thing. Um, now, the Bank of England launched a pilot cyber stress test. I think it was earlier this year, but because it was a pilot, they've not released the results. Um, but Singapore was not far behind. And uh, the central bank there released, I think it's the first of any central bank um, to release their cyber stress test results. Um, and genuinely... Uh, the firms came out pretty well. Um, there didn't seem to be too much capital loss, uh, but reputationally, some of the banks and especially the insurers struggled. Um, so it'll be interesting to see going forward how the central banks adapt whatever framework they currently have in place. Maybe it's introducing more cyber scenarios into their current stress tests. Maybe it's creating new stress tests. Maybe it's the BIS launching a global standard. Um, but I think that's something that really needs to be worked on in the next 12 months. Indeed. Uh, and I think the step in the right direction is certainly that uh, central banks are clearly acknowledging that fintech is interconnecting all the different types of risks, right? Uh, one of the reasons why they are uh, tackling uh, implications of cyber risks, cyber risk is a type of operational risk, is that it has implications for financial stability. And fintech really brings together various types of financial, operational, legal even even ethical risks, and uh, uh, these will need to be uh, dealt with on the on the national level, but also on the cross jurisdictional level. And uh, uh, I agree that uh, the initiatives like the I think it's called Tiber of the European of the European Union uh, is uh, certainly a good 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 step ahead. Yeah, the MAS had the same debate going on because um, their their initial test was on a micro level. So it was how each institution would fare against mm. a, a cyber attack on its mm. own systems and its own providers. It didn't look at how it would affect the wider financial system. But it said the next time around, it plans to do a more macro focused systemic what would happen if a cyber attack breached all six bank systems? How would how would the rest of the financial system um Works so that's maybe a question for the economists to get involved in to see if which one's more specific. I wouldn't say just for the economists mm. because uh, if you if you uh, uh, approach let's say cyber risk or generally approach any uh, risks which are driven by fintech, it's not just the job job for the technical experts but also the job for uh, economists as you suggested, mm. but for lawyers increasingly. Yes, that's for example, true. Uh, you know. We talked about uh, digital money and regulation of, of crypto assets and stablecoins, which I think is completely defining the regulatory and supervisory landscape from the from the legal point of view. And uh, uh, the cyber space is a is a very similar area in that regard. No, I think you're right. Um, maybe we're going to have to have uh, cyber insurance going forward. Possibly, yes. <laughs> Um, so from our own perspective, central banking has been very busy in the realm of fintech this year. We had two global summits, our first European summit happening in London. Um, and one of the biggest themes that came out was green tech. So we had a few regulators talking about how this advancement in technology has started to hurt the planet. So obviously we know crypto assets create a lot of waste in that regard. Um, it takes a lot of power to mine a block. 
Um, but obviously as we move away from more traditional systems, more high-tech systems are gonna come into play and we don't yet know how they're gonna guzzle energy. Um, so central banks are gonna have to be cognizant of that and find a balance. Um, but we've also seen central banks engage with firms that create products which focus on the sustainability of the financial system. So at the moment, this tends to be around investing and reserve management. So the FCA partnered with a platform earlier this year um, as part of its accelerator, which looks to incorporate ESG performance ratings um, and a blockchain prediction market. And we've also seen banks create platforms, I think it was Barclays actually, which aims to connect accelerators and fund managers to green products. Now, I think this is gonna be huge going forward. Climate change seems to be everywhere. Uh, indeed, and uh, if you think uh, fintech or green tech is the area where fintech, as one of the key disruptors of our times, meets the other key disruptor of our times, which is which 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 is climate risk. And uh, uh, again, it's certainly a positive development that uh, central bankers are or, or see uh, that fintech can uh, possibly help to make the financial system more sustainable. And environmentally, environmentally friendlier, and certainly uh, the applications of uh, the advanced technological solutions in the areas of, for example, RegTech and SubTech for uh, ESG reporting and uh, uh, climate stress testing can can bring an important value uh, on the level of uh, uh, financial stability. But also, this inevitably has implications for the work of the of the of the reserve management. And what I what I would also uh, maybe uh, emphasize very briefly is the uh, the contribution of the FCA that uh, you mentioned uh, focuses uh, very closely on uh, sustainable innovation on the level of its very technological foundations. Yeah. So to make to make sure that the energy consumption and the implications for the environment uh, are don't really outperform the benefits that the solutions may bring to the public. No, I mean, we're going to be launching a new climate risk report next year and uh, I'm hoping a central bank digital currency report in Q1 of next year, which hopefully we'll be able to go in more depth about this once we have um, some thoughts from our central bankers. Um, But in September, we also had our second summit in Singapore where we had our annual FinTech and RegTech awards and we had some winners from the furthest points of the globe. We had winners from Brazil, um, HKMA were brought in as the overall central bank winner of the year. We had the Banque de France winning. Um, so I think it was a very successful event and one that I'm sure Adam is already looking forward to planning later in 2020. Very much. Um, so in 2020, central banking will be following this issue incredibly closely. As I've mentioned, we've got reports coming up um, and we've also got a number of events throughout the year which will be looking closely at these developments. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to them. Uh, I would uh, like to emphasize in particular the two summits that we are going to host in uh, uh, Brussels in March 2020 and uh, uh, already the third edition of the uh, FinTech and RegTech Summit in Singapore where we are going to, again, bring together uh, central bankers with an active interest in fintech, direct and subtech, and uh, uh, we will discuss uh, some of these uh, developments that we talked about today, but also uh, the ones that will emerge in the coming months. 
So I want to thank you all for tuning in to our first Tech Talk podcast. Hopefully we haven't bored you too much. Um, we will be back on air in January with uh, our episode two, which will look at predictions for 2020. Um, at the moment, it looks like it'll be the year of big tech, um, but perhaps we'll even see a, a CBDC issuance, but we'll have to wait and see. Plenty to look forward to, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs>